1: Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I am coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Shenzhen, China, and I wish I were not, mainly because I was supposed to take a flight out today to Guiyang, and Guiyang was hit with a major storm, so I ended up not being able to take that flight because it was canceled, and I will be making my way up to Guangzhou, so this is the second time I have had a flight canceled because of weather in the last week and welcome to China. That's the way it usually rules here in China. But you know what? I'm a pilot and as the pilot saying goes, I would rather be on the ground wishing I was in the air than being in the air and wishing I was on the ground. This podcast title for today is Do You Think Christians Are Dying? Or, dude, where are all the Christians? That, that might actually be the title of my next book. Dude, where are all the Christians? Because it feels like Christianity is dying in the West. Am, am I alone on that? Are, are you feeling that way? Is it, it Am I alone in the way that I feel every single time I turn on the TV and watch the news that I'm seeing something about the church that makes me disgusted, angry, upset, flustered, defeated? I mean, I feel that I'm kind of alone in the way that I believe, and and at least when I watch TV. Here in China... If I isolate myself just with the believers here in China, I feel like I'm with family. I feel like I'm with individuals who see things the same as I do. It's a cultural thing, but it's a biblical cultural thing. I grew up in a different country, different nation, different culture, different language, and somehow those that speak my language don't speak my language. Those who share my culture Don't share my culture, if that makes any sense to you. I mean, when I'm traveling in America, maybe you don't feel this way, but when I'm traveling in America, I'm like, who are these people? Like, I don't understand. Uh, Of course, when I go into certain churches and I'm hanging out with certain saints, then I feel connected with people. But when I'm watching the news and seeing like more of a bigger version of the U S kind of a zoomed out lens. I look at that and think, where have I gone wrong? Why am I so different than the people that I'm seeing here? I'm seeing individuals who claim to be Christian and we could not believe in things more differently. I mean, I just saw a book that came out with the, 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 the prayer, um, journal, Or like a daily prayer, um, book for Hillary Clinton. Now, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I didn't, I sure didn't vote for Hillary Clinton as an American. I'm an American citizen. But I'm, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, all of the platforms that I'm listening to, I don't feel connected with their interpretation of what the Bible says. When I'm traveling in Sweden with my wife and, and, and listening and reading from the news and l- spending time with her family in Sweden, there are people all around me that I'm like, who are these people? I don't feel like their interpretation of the Bible, and sometimes it's not even an interpretation of the Bible, right? It's a, it's like an off the wall painting of who Christ is based on Cultural absurdities and interpretation using cultural eyes. Anyway, do you think that Christianity is dying? This is a question that I ask. Now, I'm going to do something on this podcast that I have never done. There's nowhere where you can find a a recording of our Bible study series available until now. I'm going to just play a clip from are chasing revival. It is a Bible study series. It's a nine part part DVD. Can you say DVD? It's not even DVD really isn't even relevant anymore. Um it, it's a nine-part video series where we start Acts chapter one, verse eight, and travel around the world following the revivals that take place after the ascension of Jesus. And we start off with uh, Peter and the disciples as they leave from the Mount of Olives and go into Jerusalem. Then we follow Peter from Jerusalem to Joppa. And then we follow Luke as he transitions from Peter to Paul. And we follow Paul into Judea, into Asia Minor, into Europe where he is then martyred. And then we follow the first century church into Africa, um, Europe around to the Americas, and then in China where we are seeing the world's largest revival today. However, the... The Bible study series starts off with a very simple question. It starts off with what is the challenge or, or, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to try to put it into words. I'm going to go ahead and play it. I'm going to play this video segment. You'll be able to hear the, the questions that we kind of got going. And we're, in this video series, we ask some very difficult questions. And the questions that we ask, we don't necessarily have answers to we provide this as a on the road Bible study series. And we try to find answers as we're traveling around following the history of revival. But the questions that we don't find answers to, we leave them with you to research the Bible for yourself, to dig deeper into God's word. What I have kind of gotten a little bit away from is these pretty packaged Bible study series that are made available to us where the answers are these cute Cookie cutter answers that are barely biblical, more cultural, and have such simple cotton candy answers that I'm looking at. It, I'm like, no, that, that might be an aspect of the answer, but it's not the complete answer. Our God is so, so much bigger than that. My mind cannot wrap itself around some of the answers that God has for the questions that I have. Sometimes my mind is so simple. I don't even know the right questions to ask. But when I do ask a certain question. Sometimes the answers of God are so complex. That it takes me a while to marinate in them. And start to take them apart. And digest them. And even then I've only got a portion of it. Not even the full answer in its entirety. Because my body body, my vessel, my mind cannot contain the answers that God has available for many of my questions. So anyway, um, we start off the video, we put up a, a line that says, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand <laughs> that bother me. That is a quote from Mark Twain. So I start off in New York City. Uh, traveling in New York City, and then ask the question. So this is the video. This is the video. The reality of the global economics As the anniversary of the landmark Roe vs. Wade decision nears, masses of
0: five million people have turned away from the project. Of each generation is to bridge the meaning
1: of those founding words with the realities of changing times. It's amazing to me how I can be in the most populated city in the world and still feel isolated and alone. One of the challenges is even though I'm surrounded by people, I continue to feel that my value system is just so incompatible with the value systems of those all around me the kind of world that i'm raising my children in how am i going to teach them right and wrong when society is teaching the exact opposite what kind of world are they growing up in you know the 10 commandments don't bear false witness don't lie don't kill don't don't steal you know very easy ideas to grasp but yet today in the world that we're living in i feel that these ideas are being challenged being questioned by everyone around me. And it makes me question, how am I actually able to adapt in a society where stealing is okay, lying is okay, killing is acceptable? Okay, stop right here. You're probably wondering, Who is this guy, and who in the world is he talking to? I know that if I came up to you on the street, you probably wouldn't give me the time of day, but since we're here in a video, maybe you can spare a few minutes. My name is Eugene Bach. And I host the Back to Jerusalem podcast. I live out of my backpack and my office, yeah, it's an economy airplane seat. Why do I travel around the world? Well, you can say I have a sort of disease, but I can't sit still when I live in the space between all the bad news and the good news. I may be just another random guy with a podcast, but back to what I was saying. The Bible tells us about a time when Jesus came down to a very evil and cruel world where people were crying out for justice. And it is through his love and the actions that he taught that there began a transformation just in the few men that followed together with him. But then that transformed a people group, a nation, a continent. What can we learn from what Jesus did to transform his society? Because we desperately need it in our society today. That sounded like a sermon. What I am seeing in history and around the world today tells me that our God is not just another God. And I'm not saved just to be a part of another church program. I believe God has given us a mission, but often we can't fit it into our schedule or find a place left on our to do list of us are left standing in the space between the great commission and the not so great reality of the church in the world today now I have a hunch that we already know the answers but why does much of the church seem stale? why are so many prayers powerless? Who wants a bigger vision? Who wants a taste of God's amazing promises? When the rubber hits the road, I have a hunch that revival is what I need. And likely, I'm not the only one. And then that is the beginning of the Back to Jerusalem Bible Study Series. We are really excited about it. We're hoping to get it out at the end of this year, and we're hoping to make it available to you. But the reason I wanted to play that, other than just saying that we have a really cool Bible Study Series called Jason Revival coming out at the end of 2017, is also to say that you're not alone. If you're listening to this podcast and you feel like you have somehow been isolated from everyone else around you, that you somehow see the Bible so very differently that you've asked yourself, have I missed it? Am I the odd man out? Does the Bible not really mean what it says, but it means what everybody else says that it does? Should I just get on board the train of everybody else to avoid friction to avoid confrontation? Should I just agree with those that are around me that are saying things that are blatantly different than what the Bible says? If you feel that way, you're not alone. I also have felt that way. And here's the thing. Here's the good news. There are more of us that believe when what the Bible says and believe that it's true without having to water it down right now. There is a, 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 a list that comes out from a comprehensive demographic study of more than 200 countries. And it finds that there are 2.18 billion Christians of all ages around the world representing nearly a third of the estimated 2010 global population of 6.9 billion people. The reason I say that is because Christians are the most geographically widespread far-flung, single, no single continent, region, or religion, and can indisputably claim to be this. There's no place that can indisputably claim to be the center of global Christianity. So the, the number of Christians around the world has been growing. So if it feels like the number of Christians are actually going down or the, the number of people that believe what the Bible says is actually going down. If, if you've been watching the news and feeling that the number of people that are attacking what the Bible says and making up their own Christianity and their own Jesus and formulating their own Jesus Christ and making Jesus in their own image, you are not alone. There are many people that are seeing the same thing, understanding the same thing, and here is the good news. There is no center of global Christianity. The reason why I why I feel that is good news is because God is where his people are at. Where they are at, there is he there he is also. Meaning that the Hindus have India, the 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 Buddhists have Tibet, the Muslims have um, <laughs> Mecca. I almost forgot Mecca. I wanted to say Medina there for a minute. The Muslims have Me- Mecca. Almost said Medina again. Man, um, the the these these areas have their own center of gravity when it comes to their religious capital. So when the Muslims pray, they face towards Mecca. The Hindus make their voyage back to the, the, the main river that gives them sanctification. The Buddhists make their way back to the, the pagoda in uh, Lhasa, Tibet. But where do Christians go? Jerusalem? The Jews focus on Jerusalem, but for Christians, We know that God is where His spirit, where, where the people are. His spirit is where He is being praised and followed. If those people are in, uh, Egypt, Cairo, then they, He will also be in Cairo, Egypt. If they are in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, then he will also be in Ethiopia. The center of God's revival is where His people are at. A century ago, this was not the case. In 1910, just over a hundred years ago, about two thirds of the world's Christians lived in Europe. Two thirds. Think about that for a minute. Two. Two thirds of the world's Christians lived in Europe, where the bulk of Christians had been for a millennium. According to historical estimates by the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, today only about a quarter of all Christians live in Europe. A plurality, more than a third, now are in the Americas, 37%. So you got 26% in Europe, 37% 37% in America and about one out of every four Christians live in Sub-Saharan Africa. That's 24% and about one eighth is found in Asia and the Pacific. So the, the demographics for Christians is shifting. So if it feels like um, you are isolated in Europe and America. That's because we are seeing a decline of the number of Christians in Europe and America. And the, the spirit of the Lord is shifting. The gravity of Christianity is shifting. Although Europe and the Americans are still the home to the majority of the world's Christians, 63%, that share is much lower than it was in 1910. And the proportion of Europeans and Americans who are Christian has dropped from 95% in 1910 to 76% in 2010. So a 100 years later, we see a a, a drop in Europe as a whole and from 96% to 86% in the Americas as a whole. Whole. Almost half, 48% of all Christians live in only 10 countries. Again, almost half of all Christians in the world live primarily in 10 countries. America, which is the United States, Brazil, and Mexico, so that's the Americas. um, Two are in Europe, Russia, and Germany, and get this. Two are in Asia Pacific, the Philippines, and China. China is now one of the major centers for Christianity. Out of only a couple decades... And then three are in sub-Saharan Africa, Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Ethiopia, reflecting Christianity's global reach. Now let me read just a couple of things from the information that I got from Pew Research. So Pew Research is hardly considered to be a Christian organization, but some of the things that they write I feel is worth repeating. Check this out. I think this is really cool. Though Christianity began in the Middle East, North Africa, today that region has both the lowest concentration of Christians, about 4% of the region's population, and the smallest number of Christians, about 13 million of any major geographic region. Indonesia, which is a Muslim-majority country, is home to more Christians than all 20 countries in the Middle East and North Africa region combined. One country, Indonesia, which is a Muslim-majority country. Indonesia, a Muslim-majority country, is home to more Christians than all 20 countries in the Middle East-North Africa region combined. Nigeria now has more than twice as many Protestants, broadly defined to include Anglicans and independent churches, as Germany, the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. Again, Nigeria – This is an African country, has more than twice as many Protestants than the birthplace of Protestantism in Germany. Brazil Brazil has more than twice as many Catholics as Italy, the home place of the Vatican, the Vatican City in Rome. Although Christians uh, comprise just just under a third of the world's people, they form a majority of the population in 158 countries and territories, about two-thirds of all countries and territories in the world. so And about 90% of Christians live in countries where Christians are the majority. Only about 10% of Christians worldwide live as minorities. And this is for two reasons. The reason one... Is because once Christians become the minority, if they're true Christians, then they are going to be evangelical. They're not meaning they're going to be a part of the, the, the group of evangelicals. They're going to be evangelical in nature. They're going to evangelize. They're going to proselyze. So they're going to share the gospel. They're going to take the Great Commission seriously. They're going to share it with people, and the truth shall set you free. And that begins to have a domino effect in a society. The second reason why um, only 10% of Christians worldwide live as minorities is because, well, when countries start to or be, uh, or are run by um, other religions, those other religions are very intolerant of Christianity. They have to be because the enemy is in those other religions and they want to shut down the truth. So they have to persecute and persecute with vengeance. The Christians, if if demographics is destiny, then Christianity's future lies in Africa and Asia, not in America and Europe. If demographics is destiny then Christianity's future lies in Africa and Asia, not America and Europe. I am so sorry if that hurts your feelings. What we are seeing in sub-Saharan Africa is that Christians on average are relatively young and have more children than anywhere else, contributing to the projected rapid population growth in the decades ahead. In sub-Saharan Africa, Christians on average are relatively young and have more children. What we are seeing in Europe is that the church is aging. The church is primarily older. The church is primarily grandparents with older children that have children, which means that it's dying out. But in Africa and Asia, we are seeing Christians are relatively young and are having children. So, it's not about the birth rates. So a lot of people say that Islam is going to overtake Christianity because Muslims are having more children than Christians. Ha ha ha! But you're looking at the wrong demographics. You're looking at demographics in Europe and America and equating that across the board as a whole. However, what you're not seeing is that Christians in the new Christian areas are having more children and they are younger, which means they have longevity. They're going to be around for a while. And they are seeing more people become Christians. These young people are becoming influential and evangelical, which means they are reaching people that the researchers are not able to calculate also what we are seeing is revival taking place where there's a mass multiplication process taking place in some of the most unreached areas of the world where christians and converts are still persecuted so they're not likely to fill out your forms for research so they're not going to pop up on your geographical studies or your demographical studies so what we are also seeing And this is key, is that it's not just about birth rates and the shift in economics. It's also about a shift in the commitment to God's word. This is probably also going to hurt your feelings. So if you need a safe space, you should probably turn this podcast off. Because what we are seeing in the West and the reason why I feel isolated in the West, the reason why you feel alone out there in the West is because a lot of what we are seeing in the changes in the church have nothing to do with the Bible, but has more to do with the influence of culture on Christian leaders. It also has to do with many Christian leaders not having a spine and being able to take the persecution that comes when adhering to God's word. You don't have to be aggressive with God's word when speaking the truth. You can do so in love, but I warn you, you will still be thought of as someone who is closed-minded. You will still be thought of as someone who speaks Hate speech. You will still be thought of as someone who is a moron, someone who is archaic, that believes in an archaic book uh, according to the letter of the word, to 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 believe in it as if everything in the Bible is true. How absurd! How crazy! So there are more and more leaders in the church that are trying to adapt, that are trying to be relevant, that are trying to not offend people. And even though that comes from a good place, what that has led to is leaders saying a lot of nothing, watering down what the Bible says until the point of mush, until you have nothing but Mush in your hands and no one knows what you believe anymore. If the if the pastors aren't preaching the word, if the pastors aren't teaching from the Bible, if the pastors are too afraid to tackle the truth of God's word, no matter who it offends. By the way, the truth of God's word is going to be offensive to those that don't believe in God's truth if they don't want to change the woman at the well. Was a sinner, but wanted to change and repent. The, the, the woman who was about to be stoned that found sanctuary in the protection of Christ did so because she repented and went about her way to sin no more. Those that came to Christ were those that came and openly said, dude, I sinned. I am a sinner. I am a horrible, dirty individual. That my thoughts, my actions, the things that I have done, I cannot escape. I am so wrong and unworthy. I am so unclean. I am so not worthy of you, Christ Jesus. I'm so unworthy of heaven. Those are the ones that Christ embraced, built them up, gave them salvation and blessed them. Those that stood and, and, and justified their actions, justified what they were doing, like the, the clergy members, the, those are the ones that Jesus did not have any kind words for. Those are the ones that found the teaching. Jesus, if Jesus was all about, um, uh, love and, and, and hippie reformation, It would have been easy just to adapt everything and accept everything that he said. But those that were listening, the the Jewish leaders that were listening to his teachings were extremely offended and tried to constantly get him trapped so that they could smack him down. and, And eventually what they did is have him crucified, which is what they wanted from the very beginning. They needed to shut him up and people are going to want to shut you up. So the growth in Christianity is not just about birth rates. It's also about a new generation in a new area of the world that says, screw it. I believe in what the Bible says, come hell or high water. I am here to stand on these words that are in red and white and black and white the church in the West has really worried about things that they feel are offensive to others. And so they've chosen to be more vanilla. And as a result, what we have seen is that almost six out of 10 Christians or six out of 10 former Christians in America and Europe now do not affiliate with any religion at all. They don't find a use for it. Why doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't jive with what I'm learning in college. It doesn't jive with what I'm learning from mainstream media. It doesn't, it doesn't really work in my social groups anymore. It, it just, it makes me isolated. It makes people not like me. It makes people say bad things about me. They say that I'm a racist. I'm a homophobe. They say that, um, I am, uh, you know, an anti-scientist. I don't want to be those things. I want to be known as being loving, kind, gentle. Moral, So, I keep silent. I don't share what the Bible says. I don't say anything that is in God's word that might be offensive. And that is why almost 6 out of 10 Christians do not affiliate with any religion. What I like about, uh, there's a quote by a guy by the name of John Stott. And he says, The perseverance of the saints... He who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13. Not because salvation is the reward of endurance, but because endurance is the hallmark of the saved. I got to read that again. That is so, so stinking powerful. Perseverance of the saints, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Mark 13, 13, not because salvation is the reward of endurance, not because salvation is reward of endurance, but because endurance is the hallmark of the saved, even when persecuted, even when rejected, even when called names. We're seeing a split with churches around the world. And I kind of find the splits... Even though I think that Christians should stand in unity, there's something exciting about the splits that we're seeing in the church, and I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. But first I just want to read about some of the incidents because we have – if we look at the Church of England, they've been facing a fresh crisis over its stance on gay relationships following an unprecedented criticism by a group of leading retired bishops over its failure to provide leadership on the issue and its marginalization of the LGBT members. Officials feared that the 500 plus members of the church's general assembly will approve a recent report from bishops which upholds traditional teaching that marriage is lifelong union between one man and one woman. To uphold that position is considered to be homophobic. To uphold the lifelong union. You know, Chick-fil-A, a, a fast food restaurant in America, the, their former founder um, just a couple years ago said that when asked about his stance on marriage, which was a set up question, knowing that, I mean, hello, their restaurant is closed on Sundays because of their Christian identity. So they, the, the, the reporters that asked the question knew exactly what they were going to get from Kathy. When they asked. What is your stance on gay marriage? He said that I stand behind traditional marriage. That was considered to be anti-gay. Traditional marriage. To say that you stand for traditional marriage was considered to be an aggressive statement which led to mass boycotting which turned out to not be so mass because what actually happened as a result is that Chick-fil-A soared in sales and today it's almost insane to try to get into their doors during lunchtime. It's the one restaurant that's overflowing with customers, especially, you know, if you ever go to a Chick-fil-A restaurant, for those of you that are listening to me in Australia, Asia, South Africa, I know that we have a lot of people that are listening to us around the world. Let me just explain a couple things that if you've never been to the US to a Chick-fil-A, Oh, 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 first of all, you're missing out on one of the most remarkable chicken sandwiches in the world. Now, before I even went there, I thought, you know chicken sandwich is a chicken sandwich. I mean, how good can it be? Oh I, you compl- it is phenomenal. It is one of the best chicken sandwiches in the world. In fact, it's so good that if you ever go there during lunchtime, they'll have Chick-fil-As that literally, I kid you not, have four car lanes where the, the, it's like highway five in California. You got. Um, uh, four car lanes and instead of pulling up to the drive-through and then putting in your order and then going up to the next window and getting it, they have young people with iPads walking from car to car, taking your order, sending the order inside for it to be made before you even pull around so that it will expedite both your order and the delivery of your uh, meal. Because during lunchtime, they have to get people in and out as fast as humanly possible. I don't know how they can sustain it they're they're pouncing on everybody else. But the founder of chick-fil-a said this one simple statement in support of traditional marriage, and he was uh ruthlessly attacked for that, but it ended up backfiring um <clears throat> The church uh, of, of the Church of England. The Church of England insists that gay clergy must be celibate, and clergy are forbidden from conducting same-sex marriage services. But an open letter from 14 retired bishops, led by a guy by the name of Peter Selby, the former Bishop of Worcester, uh, and, and including other people, uh, former bishops from Oxford and and places like that, um, urged their successors to think again. They say that serving bishops have. So sought to manage a conflict rather than perhaps enabling or leading. And last year, the Methodist Church was struggling to avoid a split over gay rights and the top policy-making body of the United Methodist Church narrowly approved a full review of all church law on sexuality. Narrowly. The, the United Methodist Church just ordained, um, a couple days ago after, from me doing this podcast, just ordained a couple of days ago a transgender clergy, um, uh, by the name of Reverend M. Barkley, um, who is the first openly non-binary trans person. <clears throat> Non-binary meaning that they're not male or female I'm assuming because binary can only be a choice between the two. So non-binary trans person, that's actually a phrase that I haven't even heard before. Um, So this Reverend M. Barkley who does not like to be called a her, which she is, um, to become a United Methodist deacon. So, according to the Reconciling Ministries Network, this non-binary means Barkley as I it, she doesn't identify as either a male or a female, but as gender neutral. And so, Barkley, who uses singular, who, who uses singular they pronouns, meaning that um, you know she doesn't use he or she or anything that would identify to the sex or the the. The male or female, the masculine or feminine uh, person that she's referring to she serves as the director of communications at Reconciling Ministries Network. The unofficial United Methodist group based in Chicago advocates for the full inclusion of LGBTQ people in all aspects of church life. And it said this for so long. I've longed to be a pastoral presence in the world. This is what Barclay is saying. And certainly you can do that without a collar. But I'm talking about the priest collar. But we have ordination for a reason. And part of that is that I can publicly identify as a pastor now. Barkley said, I know it's not particularly common in the United Methodist Church, but I intend to wear a collar every single day because for a person like me to navigate society in a in a collar provides some profound and urgently needed pastoral opportunities, particularly for queer and trans people translation. She's wanting to use the collar for authority to basically speak on behalf of the church about um, the LGBTQ issues. Um, th- there's a video of her right after this that was uh, uh, published in Febu- February of this uh, year. Let me just uh, play this. This is her and another uh, brother, a uh, Christian brother, another fellow leader uh, by the name of Matt Berryman.
2: You know, it feels like we're just being hit left and right with hard news these days. So we wanted to take a brief moment and share where we see some good news, some work of the spirit in the world. As some of you know, I've been pursuing my call to ordination as a deacon in the United Methodist Church for a number of years. And I faced some major hurdles after coming out in my process in the Rio, Texas conference back in 2013. This led to two judicial council rulings and a deferment of my ordination process. But it's 2017
1: now. So here you can. This is the voice, by the way, of M. Barkley. Which here I'm going to play another clip that was just one year ago, less than a year ago, less than a year ago. This is uh, M. Barkley speaking in Austin, Texas. Tell me if it sounds like the the same person.
0: Let us
2: it.
1: It doesn't sound the same, right? So there's obviously gone there's been a change in the last year. This was um, her speaking at the University of United Methodist Church, and I'm going to let her to continue speaking.
2: And yesterday, the Board of ordained Ministry in the Northern Illinois Conference gave me their full support and officially recommended me for provisional membership as a deacon. I was treated with the utmost respect as a queer and non-binary trans person, and that is significant. I was evaluated by my qualifications for ministry and not my sexual orientation or my gender identity. The action of the board fills me with hope, resurrection hope, the hope of a God making a way where it seems that there is no way. And I'm thankful because this is a communal journey. I'm filled with gratitude for the many, many of you who support me and other LGBTQ candidates for ministry who continue to face barriers to the call God has placed on our
1: lives.
0: As Executive Director of RMN and a member of the Bishop's Commission to structure a way forward that is inclusive of LGBTQ people, I am so happy because this is my colleague M. but also because, because of what this means for our future together as a church. I'm just thinking right now, actually, of a Jenga puzzle as like an infrastructure of sin in the church, and that piece by piece, each act of biblical obedience, like this one, destabilizes discrimination in the United Methodist Church. This is the work God calls us to, to join in pulling out, piece by piece, this discrimination until it can no longer be supported and it all comes tumbling down. This is not unlike the spiritual process that we all undergo when we begin to let go of the false self in order to become exactly who God has created us to be, our very best self. This is exactly what the church is undergoing right now, by God's grace. And it's happening because of you. Because of movement people, gospel people, courageous people, because of people like M, and because of boards of boarding ministry who are willing to do the right thing, thank God. So in the moments that you think things really aren't changing, that the church isn't listening, that systems of oppression cannot be dismantled, just remember where we've been and where we are today. Because of who you are and what you do. The way forward has never been more clear.
1: So this, this has, that was a very interesting, um, illustration that he used, by the way, talking about a Jenga puzzle that one by one you keep pulling the pieces out and it all comes falling down. Yeah. You keep pulling out the parts of the Bible that you really don't agree with and your, your church and that which you believe will come following, falling down for sure. But here's the thing. Here's why I find this exciting. The church in Asia and Africa are not walking down this road. They have stood up independently. Though it was the churches in Europe and America that that came and spilt their blood and gave sacrifice for these brothers and sisters to have a future in Christ, they are not looking back and saying, well, that's the road that they're going, so we're going to follow that. Instead, they took the missionaries that came and planted God's word. They're, they took their teachings, literal, and then they started to read the Bible for themselves. And what they have found contradicts the teachings in the West. As the West becomes more worldly, the church in the East is growing radically and they're growing with passion because they are not compromising and watering down the word of God. There is an angelic communion uh, there is also the same debate, the debate that's really been hitting the church hard on uh, sexuality. Uh, there's an archbishop of Kenya by the name of a uh, 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 bishop or archbishop rather, uh, Wabakukala. Wabukala. Um, I, am I'm, I'm not familiar with his name. I don't say it very often. So I just wanted to make sure I say it correctly. Wabukala. So Archbishop Wabukala says that the solution, and I love his teaching. I sit and I watched him speak on YouTube. And, um, the, this Archbishop says that the solution to a difference of opinion on issues such as gay marriage and sexual morality cannot be found with debate. We should, this is him, this is quoting him, we should be grateful that the College of Bishops does not embrace the idea to bless what God calls sin. Nevertheless, they unanimously agreed on the formation of discussion groups. That is worrisome. According to the church leader, there has been debate for years in the Anglican Communion. The underlying issue is whether one has to accept the Bible as the Word of God. He recalls that at one conference, a meeting in which all Anglican bishops from around the world gather stated in 1998 that homosexual relationships are not consistent with the Holy Scripture. According to Wabukulo, the – With this approach aside, the discussion is not intended to address the biblical teaching in the field of marriage and family, but is based on the premise that we cannot be sure what the meaning is in the Bible. That is, I think, the underlining situation that what happens is. In these debates is that people take the debate away from the Bible and say, well, what does that really mean? What does that mean for us in 2017? And so that's what this Archbishop points out. He said this, and I love what he says. We have no other position than the teaching of the Bible. That I, I, I could not agree more with you. Um, Mr. Archbishop but but i have to tell you you have an army of believers behind you from china they're loving they're kind they're servants two of them just lost their life this week serving in pakistan giving their life for the most destitute of us in the world while we debate in the grand cathedrals of the West, about what the Bible really means, and that's not what we really mean. It's not about what the Bible says that we're debating. We're We're debating what we would like the Bible to say. That's the real debate. But while we are debating, in our high and mighty ivory towers, these Precious believers that believe in the word of God are taking the gospel to the darkest areas of the world. And that excites me. That makes me so excited. So when we look around and say, dude, where are all the Christians? Let me say they're growing. They are growing more than you could ever imagine. If you think Christianity is dying, it's not. It's only shifting. Thank you so much for joining us for another Back to Jerusalem podcast. Again, my name is Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Shenzhen, wishing I was in Guiyang. God bless you.